Hey, happy Easter. <laughs> so you and I are here celebrating what is absolutely the pivot point of our entire Christian faith, that what you and I believe is that three days before this, Jesus hangs on a cross, and that somehow your sins, my sins, everything that we've ever done to hurt the heart of God is placed on Jesus Christ that day as a substitute. He pays for us what you and I could not pay for ourselves. And so that you and I would know beyond a shadow of a doubt that it worked, that, that it, it wasn't just a hopeful thing, but it's something that actually was effective in removing your and my sin. God raises him from the dead as if putting a seal of approval on all that Jesus has done on the cross. And if it is true, then this moment changes Everything, every conversation, every part of our belief, every one of our behaviors. And if it's not, then you and I have had the biggest hoax of all time. This is the pivot point of our faith. And if you and I ever really caught and understood the extent of Easter, I'm convinced you and I would live lives completely differently. That I think one of the biggest mistakes we make is that we walk away from Easter not fully understanding what God actually accomplished on our behalf. It's as almost as if we've placed Easter in a box that is far, far too small for what really, really happened that day. Now, this is okay, and it's not that surprising, because the reality is the first people who got to the tomb on that Easter Sunday morning didn't understand what was happening either. Their hearts and lives are marked by a huge confusion, and you get it when you read the story. So here's my hope. My hope is that as we go through and we watch the process and the things that they thought about as they looked into that empty tomb on Easter morning, that you and I might come to a place of letting God out of his box and understanding Easter even more profoundly in our lives. So grab your Bibles real quick, and we're going to go there and just take a peek into that first uh, Easter morning. It's John chapter 20. And if you're not familiar, if you go to the back of your Bible and then work to the left, you're going to find this book of John. If you see 1 John, 2 John, 3 John, don't stop there. Those are the little Johns. Uh, you got to get to the big John. <clears throat> John chapter 20. We'll start in verse 1 together. Here's what it says about Easter. Early on the first day of the week, on Sunday, uh, while it was still dark, uh, Mary Magdalene, uh, went to the tomb and saw the stone that had been removed from the entrance. So she came running to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one that Jesus loved. And that's actually just a reference to John, who is writing this book. And John was probably uh, the best earthly friend that Jesus had while he was here uh, doing ministry. And said, they have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we don't know where they have put him. So Peter and the other disciple started for the tomb, both were running, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. Now, I'm not sure why John felt like he had to put that in there. I mean, it, it doesn't help me spiritually at all. He just had to let you and I know that he outran old, out of shape Peter and got there first. I'm thinking this is totally a guy thing going on here. My fish was bigger than your fish. And by the way, you're an old fat fart. Okay, and, uh, and he reached uh, the tomb first. 
And he uh, bent over and he looked uh, in at the strips of linen lying there, but did not go in. Then Simon Peter, who was behind him, arrived and went into the tomb. He saw the strips of linen lying there, as well as the burial cloth that had been around Jesus' head. The cloth was folded up by itself, separate from the linen. Finally, the other disciple, who had reached the tomb first, <clears throat> also went inside. He saw and believed. They did not understand from Scripture that Jesus had to rise from the dead. And then the disciples went back to their homes. But Mary stood outside the tomb crying. And as she wept, uh, she bent over to look at the tomb and saw two angels in white seated where Jesus' body had been, one at the head and the other at the foot. They asked her, woman, why are you crying? They've taken my Lord away, she said, and I don't know where they've put him. And at this she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she did not realize that it was Jesus. Now, we don't know if that's because uh, she had so many tears in her eyes. We, we don't know if the idea of seeing Jesus alive again was so unexpected that it just doesn't register, but she doesn't recognize him in the moment. Woman, he said, why are you crying, and who is it that you're looking for? Thinking that he was the gardener, she said, sir, if you've carried him away, tell me where you've put him, and I will go get him. And then Jesus said to her, Mary. And she turned toward him, and she cried out in Aramaic, Rabboni, which simply means teacher. It's an interesting moment, because as you read the story, you realize that every single one of the first three people who get to the tomb of Jesus don't grasp it. They don't understand the moment uh, for what the moment is. First guy to get to the tomb is John. He says he believes, but he doesn't understand uh, what's going on in that moment. I, I call John's response uh, the casual uh, Christian response. See, what's uh, happening with John is that he gets there, he sees uh, that the tomb is empty. He just doesn't know how this ought to impact his life and how he ought to be different. Uh, he, he has a belief that belief just hasn't done anything for him or changed him. Matter of fact, go back to the passage and maybe, maybe you'll catch what I'm trying to say. It's verse 8. Here's what it says. Finally, the other disciple who had reached the tomb first went inside. You ready? He saw and he believed. He gets it. He goes, I, I get it. I, I think Jesus maybe has uh, raised from the dead, but he still didn't understand what he was seeing. He doesn't, it doesn't land anywhere for him. It doesn't change anything for him. And then verse, uh, verse 10, then the disciples went back to their homes. So get the moment. Here's what's happened. John and the rest of the disciples, since the death of Jesus, have all been gathered together in a room with the door locked, shaking like little girls. The only reason that John is at the tomb right now is that Mary has already gone to the tomb. She saw the stone rolled away. She went back to the disciples and said, you got to come see this. John and Peter run to the tomb. He gets there, and here's what it says. It says, he believes, 
And then he leaves, goes back to his house, locks the door, and sits and shakes with the rest of the disciples. Now, how is that possible? How can you see the resurrection of Jesus and then go back and be and do what you were doing before the resurrection? Don't you almost just want to say to John, John, wait, 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 wait. If Jesus is truly raised from the dead, then Jesus is more powerful than the Jews that you're afraid of. See, what they were thinking was, hey, if they killed Jesus the other day, then who knows what they're going to do to us, his disciples. And so he's been in hiding for three days. Fairly understandable. But now that you've seen the resurrection, now that you've seen the power of God for yourselves, how can you go back? to locking yourself away and sitting in a room and shaking in fear. Isn't the God who raised Jesus from the dead more powerful than the people you're afraid of? How, ready? How can your life be the same if you really understand and believe the resurrection? And here's the answer. John believes. The problem is John's God fits in a box. It's his Sunday-only box. See, John would say, no, 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 no. I go to church, and, and, and I read my Bible, and I sing my songs, and I'm just telling you, I believe this stuff. The thing is, that's, that's what I believe on Sunday. And it doesn't necessarily change anything on Monday. Because on Monday, I have to go back to being in the real world, and in the real world, the Jews want to kill me. So I believe this. It just doesn't change anything else for me. Now, this is big for some of us. Because some of us in this room would say, Lynn, Lynn, I'm in. I, I'm just telling you, I totally believe this Jesus thing. But you and I have got Jesus in a Sunday-only box. And the reality is, our Mondays don't look any different for having believed in or sung about Jesus on Sunday. See, on Monday, we have to go back to our job. And the reality is, if you look at us in the workplace, we look just like the rest of our coworkers. We do deals the way they do deals. We cut the corners that they cut. We talk to each other the way they talk to each other. Because here's the deal, and I believe in Jesus, but this is, this is Monday. And Monday's real life, this is, this is Sunday stuff. You and I have got our money and our finances. <laughs> and we spend our money on the very same things that people who've never understood God and believed the resurrection spend their money on. And we worry as much as they worry because, because this is Sunday belief and Monday is real. We've got all the stuff that we do for entertainment. The TV shows that we watch and the movies that we go to and we, we know that some of them are things that wouldn't honor God, but this is, Sunday, this is Monday.
We've got our box of society, and, and, and we make our judgments, and we make our decisions about uh, who ought to be president, and whether or not we believe in gay marriage or not, and not based on scripture, and not based on where Jesus is. We, we base it on what's socially appropriate and acceptable. Because, I mean, this is Bible stuff here, right? This is Sunday stuff here, and this is real world stuff. And we do family. And the reality is, our family lives with us Monday through Saturday. And if there was anybody who knew that our Jesus just stays in his Sunday-only box, our family knows. And you just want to say, hey, guys, if, if you really understood the resurrection, if you really understood what God did on that day, it'd have to change Monday, wouldn't it? How, how do you go back to living like you did before? And a matter of fact, if you and I grasp the extent of what this day means and what it did, then you and I would understand that Jesus is actually Lord of all the boxes and then that he has to change every other box in our lives and that he is not a Sunday morning Savior. Matter of fact, if you have your Bibles, go through real quick and go over to Romans uh, chapter 12. It's going to be a little bit to the right in your Bible. <clears throat> Romans chapter 12, uh, starting in verse 1, uh, here's what it says. It says, therefore, I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, in view of what happens at the cross, in view of this resurrection that affirms it in view of what God's done for us to offer your bodies as living sacrifices. He's saying, look, you, you've got to be prepared to give everything you are to him, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. The King James Version says, this is the only reasonable thing to do when you understand what Jesus just did for you. Here's the interesting thing. John misses Jesus by a couple minutes. I mean, stop and think about it. We know from the story that Jesus appears at the tomb shortly after John leaves. I wonder what if he had stayed just a little longer. I wonder if as he saw that empty tomb and said, look, I just, this, this has got to be significant. I don't... I, I don't think I've fully... What if he had stayed a little longer to figure this out? I wonder if he would have seen Jesus in person and in that moment would have let Jesus out of the box and into the rest of his life. And I'm just going to suggest to some of us that are here today who have Jesus in our Sunday morning box that what you need to do this Easter stay a little longer. Reconsider what this means. And maybe, just maybe, let Jesus out of his Sunday morning box. Because guys, are you ready for this? He's bigger than that. Some of us, uh, some of us aren't struggling there. Uh, some of us are an awful lot more like Peter. It's interesting, uh, 
Peter gets there, and if you read uh, Luke chapter 24, here's what it says about Peter's experience of the tomb. It says he walks away just going, I have no idea. He is utterly and absolutely confused uh, by the resurrection. I think uh, Peter's uh, problem is just the opposite of John's. What he just saw is so big, it doesn't fit into any box. There's, there's no way for him to get his imagination or his understanding around this. I, I think Peter's going, look, what do you, what do, you do with this? Because here's the deal. Dead is dead, right? I mean, dead is dead. And how do you have a relationship with a dead Savior? I think one of the other struggles that's going on for Peter is this whole issue of forgiveness. Remember, Peter's the guy who betrayed Jesus. He's the guy who let his friend down at the most pivotal moment of his life, and I think Peter is totally struggling with, okay, so even if this happened, where do I fit in, and where does forgiveness come with all of this? Which actually is a great question when you come to the cross and to the resurrection, because the reality is forgiveness is where many of us struggle. See, some of us struggle with forgiveness because we don't think we need any. So we'd, we'd come to the moment, we go, look... I'm not sure I get this whole savior thing because I'm a pretty good person. I, I live a really good life. I, you know, I donate to needy causes and you know, I'm planning to give to the Haruma Fund and I, you know, I'm better than most of my neighbors, which by the way, you are their neighbors that they're better than, just so you know that. They say, you know what, I, I, I'm, I treat my spouse better than those people on TV treat their spouses. And uh, I know my kids are messed up, uh, but in comparison, and that may be true. It, it may be true that overall you're better than most of us in the room. And you're just not quite sure how a Savior fits into that. But if you were honest, there are some not so good moments in your life. Uh, moments when the pressure was on and it was, it was easier to be deceptive than to speak honestly. Moments when you saw somebody in need and it was inconvenient and you walked on by. Moments of watching TV or going to a movie or walking on the internet and, and you looked at things or you had no business looking at. Moments when you gossip to make yourself look better and somebody else not quite as good. And the reality is, we've all got some not-so-good stuff in our life. And Jesus would say, you realize that that stuff, that those darker moments of our living, the things that the Bible would call sin, that as long as those things are unattended to, as long as you navigate life with those things still unresolved in your life, you'll never have a real relationship with God. It's impossible to do. It, each one of them builds a wall between you and Him. And when that begins to make sense to you, that with that in your life, you cannot possibly know your Heavenly Father, then a Savior will begin to make sense. 
I've got a friend who uh, lived in Dallas for a while, and one day he pulled up, he was in downtown Dallas, he pulled up to a, a street light, and as he's sitting there waiting for the light to turn, he looks across the intersection, and there's a, a fairly attractive woman sitting in a red sports car on the other side of the intersection, waiting for the light, same light to turn. And as they're waiting, uh, he notices that there's fire dripping out from under her car. Her engine had started burning, and now the plastic in her engine was melting, and it was dripping down on fire in her car. A pedestrian who was waiting across the street sees this, and now he begins to run toward her car going, hey, 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 your car's on fire. He's hoping to stop her before she drives off and her car blows up. She, seeing this wild man waving his arms at her, uh, believes she's in for a carjacking. So she begins to roll up her windows and lock the doors. He is undeterred. He keeps running toward her. Hey, hey. In absolute sheer terror and panic, she floors the accelerator, even though the light is still red. Starts into the intersection. Now the flames burst out from underneath her hood. The car stalls in the middle of the intersection, fully engulfed in the front end in flames. And suddenly it occurs to her. This guy was coming to help. And she unlocks the door. He grabs the handle and pulls her out. I'm just telling you that when you finally realize that you've got fire under the hood, that when you finally realize that those darker moments of your life have got your life in trouble, you'll unlock the door. And you'll realize that Jesus that all the way up until now looked like an intruder and someone who was going to mess your life up will suddenly be a rescue. He'll be a savior. And you'll walk him with open arms. Peter's, Peter's issue with forgiveness, he's not thinking he's good enough. He knows better than that. He is the betrayer. He's the disappointment. And what Peter's struggling with is he's afraid his sin is bigger than his Jesus. That there's no way what he has just done could ever be covered up, taken care of on a cross. See, Peter's, Peter's Jesus is too small to take care of his failure. And I just wish that Peter had stayed a little longer. I wish he hadn't headed home so quickly because if he could have heard Jesus' voice, if he couldn't heard him call his name, he would have realized that the power that resurrected Jesus Christ had enough power to wash his slate clean. Matter of fact, Scripture simply says this, if we confess our sins, he... He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. It's a big deal for some of us because some of you came in today and, and you were already thinking, you know, I probably ought to get back to church and I probably try to, ought to try to reconnect with God, but man, my life is so messed up. 
I've got, I've got so much stuff. I just don't even belong in church. And so, so what I probably need to do is I need to go home and I need to maybe straighten some things out and get some things and maybe even some people out of my life and then I'll come back. And I'm just going to tell you if that's the way you're feeling this morning, then you've got Jesus in way too small a box. And the power of God to raise Jesus from the tomb is the power to handle whatever you walked in today with. And I hope you'll reconsider. I hope you'll stay a little bit longer and maybe hear Jesus call your name. There's the last person. It's Mary. And it's interesting because Mary is just as confused as, as the other two. Uh, she doesn't get it. Matter of fact, think about this. As you read the story, uh, when she gets to the tomb, she's weeping. If, if, if she knew the resurrection, if she understood the resurrection, she would have been dancing. But she's not grasping the moment. Matter of fact, Scripture tells us that when Jesus first appears, she doesn't even recognize him. She thinks he's the gardener. But in the midst of that, in the midst of saying, I, I, I don't know what this is and I can't quite get my head around it, she refuses to leave. She stays a little longer. There's something in her heart that says, this cannot be the last chapter. An empty tomb can't be the final period on the story of Jesus. There has to be something more to this. I think maybe part of why she stays it's because she remembers in that moment what her life was like before Jesus. See, the Bible says that when Jesus first met Mary Magdalene, she's possessed by seven demons. And Jesus cast the demons out. How dark does your life have to be? How many bad decisions, how deeply engulfed in sin do you have to be? by the time you've become possessed by seven demons. And yet Jesus has changed all that for her. And I just think she's the one that says, I don't understand, I don't get, but I, here's what, life doesn't make sense without Jesus. And so she stays to get her questions answered. The interesting thing is, because she was willing to stay, because she lingered a little longer than the others, Jesus shows up. And I love the moment. I love the pivotal moment. You get in the story, the thing that opened her eyes was when Jesus said her name, when he said, Mary. And in that moment, she knew it was him. I'm just wondering today, maybe in this room, Jesus is saying someone's name. That, that today, just even coming to an Easter service, is kind of your staying a little longer, taking another look at this Jesus thing moment. And I wonder if today, Jesus would be saying to some of us, hey Tom, I'm way bigger than the box you got me in. I'm not just a Sunday morning savior. I'm a Monday through Sunday Savior. And you've, you've made me way, way too small in your life. And you hear him calling your name.
I wonder if there's some of us in here who just really wrestled with this whole thing of forgiveness. And we either thought we didn't need a Savior, or we thought we'd done too much for a Savior to ever forgive. And right now, God's saying, Jeff, you got it all wrong. Alice, it's me. And I just want to say that if, if that's what's happening in your heart today and this moment right now, all you have to do is pray. All you have to do is say, I get it. It's you. And I do. I need you in my life. I either need you in my life in a bigger way or I need you in my life for the first time. And so here's what I want to do. I just want us to pray together. I want to lead you in a prayer that maybe, maybe, maybe would allow Easter to be different for the first time. So let's do that. Let's bow our heads. This first prayer, I'm going to pray real quick. I just want to pray for Christians who'd say, Lynn, or say I, I am, I'm, that, I'm the John in the story. I've, I've just had Jesus in way too small a box. I believe on Sunday, but I, I've not allowed him to be my Monday Savior. So for Christians, you could just pray this prayer. Hey, God, I believe. I, I believe this stuff. It just hasn't changed anything. I'm, I'm the disciple living back in the locked room, no different on Monday for what I experienced on Sunday. And I'm just going to tell you, I'm tired of that life. I need, I need an every day of the week Savior in my life. And I'm just right now going to make you Lord of all the rest of my boxes and all the rest of who I am. And I'm just declaring to you, you're bigger than the box I've had you in. And I'm declaring you. Lord of my life, not just Sunday morning Savior. And then I'd like to have those who say, you know, Lynn, I, I don't know that I've ever made him Savior. I don't know that I've ever actually allowed him into my life and experienced this forgiveness that you're talking about. And you could pray a prayer something like this. Dear Lord Jesus, I walked into this room today not thinking that I really even needed to be forgiven. I... I thought I was living a pretty good life. And I understand it, I think, that it wasn't the good you were measuring. It was the disappointing and the darkest moments of me that were keeping me from God. They, they were the things that I had never attended to and I had just kind of tried to overlook and ignore that were actually building a wall. It's why I needed a savior. My, my car's been on fire and I've been oblivious. I, I thought you were running toward me to ruin me, and you've been running after me to rescue me. And I'm just going to unlock the door right now. I'm, I'm going to invite you in. Be my Savior. Be my Savior. And God, would you forgive even the biggest things? I've got stuff that I wasn't even sure you could take away. And I suddenly realized that you're bigger than even my biggest sin. So I'm not going to go and try and clean my life up. I'm just going to come to you the way that I am. Come into my heart right now. In Jesus' name.